Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, Abijah begot Asa, Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, Joram begot Uzziah, Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, Ammon begot Josiah, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheltiel, Sheltiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abiad, Abiad begot Eliakim, Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, Achim begot Eliud, Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, Mathan begot Jacob, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. And so... Uh, Matthew writing to Jewish people here begins with a genealogy. And, uh, you know, if someone's starting a book or starting a speech or something, you would hardly want them to begin in such a way. People would be sleeping if normally... Uh, you begin with a genealogy. But with the Jewish people, Matthew is, uh, among other things, Matthew was Jewish, writing to Jewish people. Um, he was, uh, among other things, dedicated to convincing the reader that Jesus was the Messiah. He was King Jesus. And you might as well not even get started unless you first establish by the Scripture, because Matthew's opinion and your opinion and mine are worthless, really, if Scripture doesn't establish it. And so he establishes up front that Jesus is the Messiah. And according to Scripture, the Messiah had to come through Abraham Isaac and Jacob, and then more specifically through 
one of Jacob's 12 sons, Judah, and then even more specifically than that, a descendant of Judah, King David, and uh, without which this descendant, no Jew was going to really read the rest of the book. And so we may think this is a crazy way to begin uh, anything, a genealogy, but uh, this is had to be done when writing to Jews. Up front, he's telling them uh, this is about the Messiah and he is a direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Also Judah, also David. It is a legal genealogy, uh, meaning it is uh, the, the, the genealogy in Luke uh, is a what I would call a biological uh, genealogy, and there's different. There's reasons why they are different, um, but this is uh, a legal genealogy, a royal genealogy. Not even though he Jesus is not related by blood to Joseph, it would have been then that. Jesus still would have um, accepted the, uh, uh, the legal claim to be a king of Israel, which remember that he's all about being a king. That's what he is. He gets it through the royal genealogy, the legal genealogy um, from his father. Thank you for that, for being in the lights. And so that's, it, that's how it begins. It, it establishes his, the royal, the legal genealogy. And so um, a, a Jewish person reading it would be, uh, okay, I get it up to this point. I get it up to this point. This is the Messiah. He's, he's descended um, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So verse 18 begins the story many of us are um, familiar with. By the way, before we begin, you know, uh, Jesus born into a feeding trough, and, uh, which is called a manger. I've never understood why they translated a manger. I think it's just a King James thing. I think in the 1600s, when the King James Version was written, they probably understood it was a, a manger, was a feeding trough. Uh, but uh, he, the, the, the shepherds um, were told by the angel in, in the book of Luke, go to that, um, um, go to Bethlehem, and this will be a sign that what we're talking about is true. You're going to find a baby in a feeding trough. And, and so that's why it was a sign, because normally you don't see babies in feeding troughs. And, uh, uh, but, and, and so Jesus identifies with poverty there, uh, being in a feeding trough. But um, the, the genealogy is a tremendous story about also him identifying with sinners. If you've never heard this, before this blesses me every time I read this um, in verse three, there's mention of Tamar, who was who posed as a prostitute uh, and had sex with her father-in-law, and 
Jesus is a direct descendant of those uh, of Perez who was born by that incestuous relationship. In verse five, um, it says Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Rahab being a prostitute. Jesus identifying with. A prostitute. He's being willing to identify as a prostitute. The next one says he be um, Rahab and and Boaz uh, begot Obed by Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess, the descendants of Moab. Uh, uh, the the, um, uh, the Moabites were descendants from whom? Someone shouted out. Ah, who? Oh, come on. Lot, that's right. And, and, and specifically, Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughters. Um, one, uh, one of the, the, the boys, the descendants were of Ammon, the other of Moab, uh, the Moabites. That's who they were. <laughs> they were descendants of um, a guy having sex with his daughter, whose daughters got him drunk because they didn't want... Their, their name to be, uh, his name to, uh, the, their descendants to be cut off. And so, uh, Jesus again identifying with sinners. And then in verse 6, Jesse begot David by the king, David begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah, meaning an adulterous relationship. And uh, it's again Jesus wanting to identify himself with sinners and it just made me reflect on myself my own life with all my baggage all my garbage all the 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 uh, thought life which can be like a sewer but just this then the long history and and the fact that Jesus can be identified with me it says that he comes and he resides inside of us last Chapter of Second Corinthians, he um, says um, to the church in Corinth, but he also says it to you. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ lives inside of you? He identifies with that abortion. He identifies with that uh, uh, adultery. He identifies with um, uh, that lying, that cheating, that stealing, that murder. He identifies that. So much he comes inside of you, but it's nothing new. It's in his genealogy. It, 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 it predated you by a couple thousand uh, of years. So important. Uh, and it, it's deliberately put there. It's, it stands out because there were no genealogies at this time that mentioned women. Go back and do your homework. It was unheard of. And so he's deliberately bringing in the women here to get our, our attention about four different stories that are really all about the supreme depravity of man. And he's saying, yes, Jesus identifies with that depraved person who is you. And he has come inside of you just as he came into the world. And so then it continues. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Verse 18. After his mother was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Joseph, her, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. And so this has always been confusing to me because how do you put a woman away secretly in, who's, who's pregnant? It's impossible. This is just giving us... This is just giving us a, a picture of, of Joseph who's incredibly confused, who doesn't know what to do. He's coming up with a cockamamie plan. You've got to put away your, your betrothed. It was kind of like being engaged, except it was legal. You had to get a divorce to get out of a, uh, out of a betrothal. And, 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 and he's coming up with this crazy idea. Well, I'll just try to hide her. Well, you're not going to be able to hide her in the kid. And, 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 and by the way, you're going to be the one. They're going to say that you had sex with her um, prior to your marriage. And, 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 and you're not going to be able to get away with it. You're, you're always going to be uh, tarred and feathered because of this. And so he's just in his mind, he, and, and he's crying out. And you could maybe say this was a, a prayer to the Lord. I mean, uh, you know, we get in these situations. How am I going to get out of this situation I'm in? We're coming up with these uh, uh, crazy different ideas that make absolutely no sense in what happens. God shows up. And he did that here, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let me tell you, Calvary Chapel, you need to be saved from your sins. And the, the reason is, is because your sins will send you directly to hell if someone doesn't save you from it. God, from them. God is holy. He is just. He is a God of wrath. He's also a God of love, which is why he sent his son into the world while we were at war with each other, war with ourselves, and war against him. So he gives Jesus Christ. The name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. Uh, in the Old Testament, same name as Hebrew name is Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. For he will save his people from their sins. So, all this was done that it might be done which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, and then he quotes the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So Emmanuel is one of the names of Jesus. I remember I had a job, outside of being a pastor, it was the best job I ever had. Everyone who worked for me was Jewish, and my boss was Jewish. And so because Jewish people are so funny, we just laughed all day, uh, every day. And we were also incredibly productive. Um, we, 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 in terms of the work 
that we, that we just cranked out the work. Um, but one of the women who worked with me, she's Jewish, um, she came to me and she goes, how can Jesus be the Messiah? The Messiah's name is supposed to be Emmanuel. She asked, she, she asked me this question. She goes, how can, his name's not Emmanuel, his name's Jesus. How can he be uh, the Messiah? I was shocked by her. I was shocked that she would be asking me the question. And I just said, well, that, that was Jesus' name. His name was Emmanuel. Uh, and that's one of the names that is given to him uh, in the Bible. So uh, Jews, even to this day, uh, who are unbelieving Jews, meaning they, uh, they actually believe in the Jewish scripture, but they don't um, believe in the New Testament, they believe that the Messiah's name is going to be Emmanuel. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and he did not know her, meaning he did not have sex with her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So, this is a description of the virgin birth. Without believing in the virgin birth, I don't know how anyone can be a Christian, although I understand that some people say they're Christians and they don't believe in the virgin birth. Uh, it is important that you understand theologically, don't be intimidated by that word, um, it, all it really means is theology. It's the study of God, which comes from the Bible. But it's important that you understand why Jesus had to be born from a virgin. And the reason he had to be born, um, um, he had to be born um, as a virgin, from a virgin, is because he had to be God in order for his sacrifice on the cross to be effective for you. He also had to be God because we need a priest that, um, he, we need a priest that has always been, is, and always will be interceding for us always. If you want an explanation of why Jesus had to be God, the best place to go to, in my opinion, is the book of Hebrews. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read some of it for, uh, for you. But it just lays out the whole thing of why Jesus had to be God. He had to be God because the high priest had to be sinless. Our high, our high priest had to be sinless. Our high priest also could not die. And our sacrifice had to be eternal. And so, I hope this is not going over your head, but Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 says this. There used to be, Old Testament, there were many priests because there were, they were prevented by death from continuing. But he... Because he continues forever, meaning because he's God, has an unchangeable priesthood. 
Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them or for you. Verse 26 of Hebrews 7 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, meaning we needed this kind of high priest, because he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than heaven. Verse 27, this priest does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. In other words, we needed a sacrifice on the cross that wasn't an imperfect sacrifice. And every sacrifice that has ever been given under the old covenant, the old law, it was imperfect. Um, but we needed it, it, um, a perfect sacrifice. And it says, For the law appointed as high priests, men who have sin or weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. And then it says in Hebrews 10, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And for by one offering, Hebrews 10.14, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Meaning, Jesus had to be God. The only way he was going to be God if he was born of a virgin and his father was the Holy Spirit. His father was God the Father. That's the only way he could have been God. He had to also be man, otherwise he would not be a, a, a sacrifice for us. He had to be the God-man. And it says, by one offering, He has perfected us forever, meaning your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. There was a time of, of, of at least 70 years where there was no temple. It was destroyed. There was no sacrifices being made. Who was going to be the sacrifice for that 70-year period when there was no animals being sacrificed? The answer is Jesus Christ, who had always lived before. He always has been. He is and He always has. After the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., who was going to... What about all those sins after that time? There was no sacrifice at the temple. There's no sacrifice at a temple today. Jews have a very under, hard time explaining that. How, what's the sacrifice for your sin? Because there's no temple today. The answer, Jesus Christ has always been and He always will be. His sacrifice is good for all time. So um, if you have more questions about that, I'm happy to talk about it. But that is why Jesus' virgin birth, it's a non-negotiable 
I would say you can't be a Christian and believe, don't, not believe the virgin birth. Uh, it, it, Jesus had to be God because you need your sins, past, present, and future, all paid for. And it's, an, it's called in Hebrews an eternal offering because every single second of every single day, his offering is good because he is God. I hope, I hope uh, that means something to you. It's a wonderful thing to reflect on. Chapter 2 of Matthew says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, wise men, wait a sec, did I? Oh yeah. I repeat, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Who in the world are these people? I mean, who are these people? They came from the east. Who are they? Uh, some people think they're complete, total pagans who know nothing about uh, God. That they're referred to in the book of Daniel. You know how Daniel, uh, in the book of Daniel, there's also, uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's court, there were astrologers and magicians. Some think these are just astrologers. They spend their, their life uh, studying the uh, studying the sky, and it could be that that is who they are. God reveals Himself to people, and even people who know nothing about revelation, um, He is good to them and reveals a path to Jesus Christ. Just as with you, in all your muck and your mire and your sin. He gave you a way, a road, a person, a, 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 a dream, a revelation to say, listen, you need to go this way. You need to go and find out Jesus Christ. It is a, a picture here of the, uh, of the grace of God and how he seeks out every person. Um, I happen to believe that it's probably a combination of that, that they were just pagan astrologers, but they're coming from Babylon, and the Jews had been in Babylon, and not all the Jews came back um, when, at the time of uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, they didn't all come back. Some of them like Babylon. Hey, we like living with all these riches. Why do we want to go back to a bunch of rubble? And, 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 and so the, 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 um, the, uh, the, the worship of Jehovah and the scriptures was still there. In Babylon, and so um, it, it could very well be it was like a mixture. They do they know something about the Jews. They say, "Where is the King of the Jews?" In verse two, so whoever they are, this is the grace of God. It's placed here in Matthew. It's not in Mark, Luke, or John as just an example to the Jews of this. Listen, this is a sign. This is a sign from the Lord that these people showed up from the place you were exiled and they showed up at his birth. And this happened in real time history. And so to the Jews reading this, they would have been like, okay, wow, this is significant. Verse 3, when Herod the king, 
heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. You know, um, when was the next time? When's the next time it says something about all Jerusalem being troubled? Someone shout that out. Any anyone but Freddie. Someone shout out, when, when's the next time we're going to read that all Jerusalem is troubled or stirred? What? Say it louder. What? Uh, when he came into Jerusalem, lowly, gentle, riding on, Jer- on a donkey, they were all stirred and troubled. They're like, what is going on here? And that's where they said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet. So he, he's coming in, they're all troubled, and when he's leaving, they're all troubled. And so uh, they're tr- all Jerusalem, all Jerusalem knew what was going on. They had these, 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 these actually, there were not, if I said three, there was, we don't know how many magi there were, these, these, these guys coming in from the east, they would have had a procession, they, these guys had a lot of money, and, and, and they're asking, where's the king of the Jews? Yeah, this is enough to make all Jerusalem, what, like, what is going on here? And verse 4, it says, And when he, Herod, gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so the scribes told Herod, so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and he quotes Micah now, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So a clear, crystal clear prophecy in the book of Micah that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so verse 7, Herod when he secretly called the wise man, determined from them what time the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. He was lying. And we will uh, we'll get back to this Herod guy. Uh, he is one wicked and evil dude. But he, so he's trying to convince them, hey, you know, find where the child is, this guy who said is king of Jews, and come back and, and tell me, because I want to go and worship him, lying through his teeth. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And that's what Jesus Christ can do for you. He can give you exceedingly great joy. Joy is the barometer of the Christian life. 
If you do not have joy in your life, something is wrong. Joy is the barometer of, a, of the Christian life. When you don't have joy, what it means is you need to do something, uh, that you need to do something uh, in order to seek the Lord, in order to uh, seek out the joy of the Lord. The Bible says if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And what does that mean? It means that, we, that you need to seek the joy and peace of God. Where, it says where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. That's where the joy is. And so um, it, that's always the mark of the Christian life. And I know for myself there are times where my joy has vanished. That's not unusual. I am human but I know that what I need to do at that time is seek the Lord, is seek his joy, because he always has, us, um, has it for us. In this particular circumstance, 700 miles um, that they had traveled probably from Babylon for four months, and that's, that's how much God wants them to find exceedingly great joy, because it is what, um, it is what our life is um, was meant to, to, to be in Christ, a life that, had, that well, there's lots of joy there. It says, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So gold um, is... Just it's a, it's a gift for a king. It's a gift for uh, it's just showing um, his deity. And, and and remember, he is the king of the Jews, and so it's just a recognition um, of that. Uh, frankincense um, is associated with the fr- function of priest, and so Jesus is a king, and he's also a priest. Uh, myrrh was used, it's, uh, it's been said by scholars, this is a very strange gift to be giving him. Um, it is used to anoint dead bodies. But of course, that was like almost prophetical because um, uh, he, his, his body um, would be anointed uh, by Nicodemus and others um, with uh, myrrh and other uh, and other. Uh, oils used to the anoint um, the body of someone who was dead. And so um, this is prophetic in nature, um, them giving them these gifts. Keep in mind, um, he is uh, uh, really, they're poor here, so poor that um, when they went to Jerusalem to dedicate the child, they only had money to... um, to offer pigeons as opposed to a bull or a lamb, and so uh, because they were they were uh, they were poor here, um, but not anymore uh, because uh, now they had this gold, they had this frankincense and myrrh, and they were going to need it. Why? Well, let's read. Verse twelve says, "Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod." They departed for their own country another way. 
Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And so they needed that money. They needed the money for a trip. God always provides. He has resources we know nothing about, and he provided the the resources here. Verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that he might be fulfilled which was that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying out of Egypt I called my son and so Matthew you do see throughout the book of Matthew him prophesying him prophesying um, about uh, just messianic prophecies confirming that that Jesus was who he was. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. And so... Herod here uh, puts to death all the male children to and under. Uh, Satan has always tried to uh, kill the Messiah. He did before um, this. Remember when Haman in the book of Esther tried to put to death all the Jews. Satan's always wanted to extinguish um, the Jewish race, and, and here he is trying to ex- extinguish the Messiah. You know, Satan knows the Bible. He, 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 knew, he, he, he knows it full well. And Herod was one incredibly wicked guy. Um, it was, even his contemporaries, it was said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than be Herod's son. Actually, Augustus, who was the first emperor of Rome, came up with that expression. And the reason that he did is because Herod had killed three of his sons because he he was paranoid. He was always thinking that, you know, he was going to, um, uh, that someone was going to try to uh, steal his position from him. He also killed his wife um, as well. And... uh, but that expression is really interesting that Augustus, the first Roman emperor, said about Herod. He said it's, it's safer to be his pig. And the reason he said it's safer to be his pig than um, be his, uh, his child was because Herod uh, tried to be kosher. He, he, thought of, he said he was the king of the Jews. Actually, he was, he was an Edomite which meant many was a descendant of, of Saul, but he converted, he was allegedly converted to Judaism because he wanted to be a king. Uh, he, he wanted a kingdom, and so he feigned or he faked being a Jew, which meant he didn't have pork, he didn't eat pork, he didn't eat pigs, but yet at the same time he's killing people. And this is, this is a danger that I see in religion all the time. Uh, that, that someone will latch on to a religious 
rule. Like, I don't celebrate Christmas. It was a pagan holiday that came from northern Germany, and, and, and I have an issue with all Christians who um, celebrate Christmas, or I don't have Christmas trees. Christmas trees were uh, used. Uh, trees were used by the pagans to to worship. So I don't do Christmas trees, and, and, and so there, a, a complete lack of understanding of grace. And uh, by, by the way, uh, many of the hymns that those same people sing used to be. Uh, some of the hymns used to be uh, sung in bars by drunks and. Charles Wesley took the hymns and made Christian words out of them, and so and they're singing, um, uh, you know, these songs that used to be sung by drunks, but they've been sanctified. It took something that was, um, um, God took something that was meant for evil and 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 used it as something to glorify Him. But people who use, people who use. these religious things. I don't celebrate. Um, I don't celebrate Christmas. I don't have Christmas trees. I heard. Uh, I heard. There's this one person told me. Oh, we don't go to harvest parties because harvest parties are a substitute for Halloween. And even having a harvest party is acknowledging something like Halloween. And and yet the the person who who I heard that from, their own life was a complete mess. And this is what uh, this is what so and, and uh, oftentimes I've seen people um, who don't believe like that Christians should ever celebrate uh, Christmas. Their own life is a mess, and why is it? They're they, they they're using an external righteousness to to um, basically justify themselves, but um, um, before God. But meanwhile. The weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and truth, they're neglecting. And, and I, I, you know, this is about the birth of Jesus, which freed us from this religion. But I, I do find it interesting there um, about Herod, that he was actually a religious person. Meaning, he, he obeyed these external laws, but... Um, in his heart, he was a, a, a wicked, wicked man. But, but anyway, so it's estimated by scholars there was probably um, around 30 boys who would have been killed uh, to and under at that time. A, a terrible tragedy. Satan just raging against the Messiah and, and God's people. Verse 17, this was fulfilled. It was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, a voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19, now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, meaning he heard that Herod's son was now the king, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, 
and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, people look at this... um, uh, People look at this, um, this, this statement here, he shall be called a Nazarene, and it was spoken by the prophet, and they say, well, where's that from? There is no verse in the Old Testament that says Messiah will be a Nazarene. Actually, John the Baptist was a, a Nazarene, but not Jesus. Uh, there is a wonderful explanation to this, which is very simple. I will try to summarize it in just... Two minutes, because we're. I, I want to have some time to pray. We're also going to have communion tonight. Um, but in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter eleven, verse one, it says of the M- Messiah that he shall come forth. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Shout it out. David's father, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. That word branch is the Hebrew word netzer. Netzer. Okay? So, when the Jews came back from the Babylonian exile, remember, they sinned so much that God came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and carried them off into exile to Babylon. When they came back, they're there was a, uh, a number of Jews from the tribe of Judah who didn't go back to the area of Judah. They went to the north for whatever reason, and they called themselves, they called their city, their settlement, Nazareth, which means people of the Natser, people of the branch. And so that is why this prophecy, he shall be called a Nazarene, a Nazarene, a person of the branch, meaning from Nazareth, meaning a person of the branch from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Now you may may remember with um, Nazareth when Philip at the very, the apostle Philip went up to Nathanael and said, we found the Messiah, he's from Nazareth. what did Nathaniel say? He said, has anything good ever came, come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was just a, a, uh, a nothing city. It was more of a village of no kind of prominence at all. So here you have this Christmas story ending once again with Jesus identifying with basically a nobody. And you may be thinking... You, why did I, why was I, why was I born and brought up in, in the place that I was brought up? I mean, I'm from Lynn, Massachusetts. Does anything ever good come from Lynn? And, uh, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that God had you grow up in Lynn. He had you grow up exactly where you were. I, I, just a couple days ago, um, just a couple days ago, I was... Um, just reflecting and so grateful for just the places that I, 
I lived prior to being saved because those places, Lynn, Massachusetts, will prepare you exactly to be the person that God wants you to be. Exactly that person that God wants you to be to use you in the way that He is going to use you. And, and you know, Jerusalem, that's where all the superstars were from. If you remember in Acts chapter 6, there was a controversy between the, the, the Greek Jews and, and the Hebrew Jews. It was the Jews. It was the Jews from Jerusalem. They were the one that got all the favorable treatment. But no, Jesus came. He came from Lynn, Massachusetts, or he came from uh, whatever. What I like to say is Roxbury, which is where um, I live. And you don't want, you, you don't brag. I'm from Roxbury, Massachusetts. That's that's not something people brag about. But God had me live in Roxbury for a very specific reason. He had you come from um, that place that you were coming from, the Congo filled with civil wars for I don't know how long. Um, a, 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 a country that was, just has a, a tragic, tragic history where the king of Belgium just came in and just raped the country for a hundred years. But God had you born there. He had you raised there because he's making you into the man to the woman that he had, um, um, that he's called you to be. He knows what it's like to come from wherever. He came from Nazareth. He was born in a feeding trough. And so with that, I, I just want to um, close our time now just with a time of communion. Can you uh, hand out the communion elements? We're just going to have a communion. No, Christmas is in just a, a few days. And um, just I'm just always just so touched, you know, reading about this Christmas story of, of Jesus identifying with us, identifying with sinners. He identified with your background, your sin, your record, your foolishness, your, uh, the, the, the muck and the mire. You were made in the image of God, and for that reason, you're glorious to him. And, and he identified with you in these many ways because he doesn't want you, he, he, he wants you to know that he is approachable. That's why he's from Nazareth. That's why he's a, a direct descendant of, uh, of, of Ruth, who was a descendant of a man who had sex with his, his daughters. He was a descendant of... Uh, of, of Tamar, who had posed as a prostitute with um, her father-in-law. And, and he, he, he wants us to know that he is utterly, totally, completely approachable, and he has loved you so much he's actually come into your life, and he is residing with you. You are now the temple of the living God.